Hello and a happy new year to the Back of the Grid family. Uh, we are back for our first episode of 2023 and we have some news to actually talk about, which is rare for this time of year usually. Um, mm -hmm. So got a little bit of news re regarding team principal shifts, team potentials, rule changes, all sorts of things. And then even some inbox to um, to round the show off. So who, who else is on the show, Tom? Yeah. I should start with that, really, shouldn't I? Just, <laughs> you can tell it's been three weeks. I know, we've had um, a few weeks off. <laughs> Stu's also on the show, everyone. Hi, everyone. This is like a new format. <laughs> How's your break been, Stu? Uh, good. I was wondering, when it's when is it too late to say Happy New Year? <laughs> <laughs> Have we crossed that threshold yet, or, or are we still sort Depend of in the safe zone? Depends when you last saw them and how often you see them. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think we're still good. I think we're, we're still, still safe. I think we've probably got another week of Happy New Year's safe. <laughs> yeah. And then... We'll just say it again next week. After that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then also here this week is Chris. We've got a full house. Is this a new, like, let's see how deep into the podcast we can actually introduce everybody that's on it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going for a new format. New year, new format. <laughs> <laughs> you are right, though. I've never... I don't remember a winter like it for crazy newsy stuff going on like even before we got to christmas and new year we had like the first of the team principal series. oh my god yeah. You, yeah yeah you know it's been mad when you know f1 always do the graphics of like all the teams with the confirmed drivers and a question mark for the empty seats they did a version of it with the drivers and the team principals for every team and like mm. most of the question marks are on the team principals like it's just great content isn't it it's been a bonkers winter i i particularly like the graphic where they told um well they didn't tell everyone but they they made it out as though nick defries came from formula two to formula one <laughs> rather than demonstrating the fact that he came from somewhere else yeah what's he been doing for the last three or four years <laughs> don't, don't worry about yeah. that i mean yes he's been in formula two but he's also done other things since it's kind of lame that isn't it yeah. It's not like it, he literally went away and became a world champion. Yeah. I mean, the fact that it's another FIA series as well, I'd have expected them to like put that on. Like if if they well, were doing it's, something non-FIA, I could kind of see why because, it was just left off. But It's because FOM run the Twitter account, not the FIA. Yeah, if true. The FIA, it was probably, the FIA are completely... Obviously, we, it, know, we all know this. Yeah. FIA are a completely different entity. It probably was a FOM graphic rather than anything else. Yeah, FIA aren't really that sort of they don't do much in terms of like it's just official stuff isn't it I mean, it's all kind of like nah. official, or, or, yeah. or Mohammed ben Suleiman kicking off about i'm i'm pretty sure it was the f1 and... account so it will have been a fun yeah fun it graphic been. it sounds yeah. like a it sounds like a very formula one thing. let's just not acknowledge <laughs> anything exists yeah. other than our little bubble <laughs> <laughs> the pinnacle it's the pinnacle of motorsport Speaking of, should we do some news? Let's, let's, let's do some talk news. About team shifts. Yeah, so speaking of team principals, uh, one of the vacant seats has now been filled uh, with James Vells, who is off to be team principal at Williams. Uh, James Vells of Valtteri, it's James fame. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he's been Mercedes Motorsports Strategy Director for the past four seasons. He sort of, he moved from a... I think his role before that was like head of strategy or something, which was more of a pit wall position. And then he moved into kind of a sat alongside Toto position. Uh, but he's actually been in F1 for 20 years, all of which has been at 
I guess what you can call Team Brackley. So before Mercedes, he was at Braun GP and then Honda before that, BAR, which is where he started. Um, mm. So yeah, obviously very experienced guy, never been a team principal before, but he is the guy Williams have gone for. Um, Interesting. He's got Obviously, he's going to take a lot of Mercedes knowledge with him over to Mercedes, isn't he? Yeah. He is. Um, he's already talked about his sort of priorities going in are going to be sort of judging the culture and changing the culture as he yeah. sort of, you know, I, I guess he, he knows what it's like to be around a winning culture. Um, yeah. And he's also talked about strengthening the technical team. Uh, interestingly, he also talked about like one thing, as much as he's he knows what it's like to be in a successful team, he also knows what it's like to be in a very unsuccessful team. And that's one of the things he can bring with him, which is... A little brutally honest, but I mean... Yeah, well, I mean, if he didn't know, then he would be about to find out quite quickly, wouldn't he? So, yeah. Um, interesting. I think it's... I mean, it's hard to tell what... I think he's going to have an easier job than, say, Paddy Lowe had, because mm-hmm. Paddy Lowe came in at a time where there was kind of quite, quite a lot of conflict between some of the old, old, old boys in Williams. Yeah. And um, they weren't really... I got the sense in those days, and from what I've read in various autobiographies and things, that the Williams team at that point wasn't particularly receptive to new ideas and wasn't really open to changing the way they did things because they were hanging on the coattails of their sort of past success. Whereas I think now they've been so long without success and there's been so much personnel change within that team that probably now is a really, really good time to come in for James Wells as a, as a team principal and it's a time when he can really make a difference because they've had that sort of run of different people in there they know within the team the people that were causing the, the sort of the problems of not being open to new ideas maybe might be might have been shoved out of the way by now and it's almost like having like a literally a reset hitting the reset button starting your yeah. campaign again but it's new game plus and <laughs> he's got all this knowledge that he's built up over 20 years and all these you know this last 10 years at mercedes when they've been when not quite 10 years but 10 years at a very very successful if not world championship winning formula one team so bringing all that with him i don't expect to see him like jump up really really fast but he can definitely if they can keep the faith in him and if he can keep the job for long enough and if he can start to sort of steer the ship in the right direction then you can see Mercedes sort of slowly starting to move forward, can't you? What do you uh, mean? Sorry, Williams. <laughs> Mercedes don't need to move that far forward. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. And the Mercedes thing is interesting as well because everything around this appointment, Mercedes seemed to have been very happy for him and accommodating and stuff. Like, you know, they've yeah. not forced Guardian to leave and whatever. Like, there was literally a quote from Toto Wolf in the Williams press release. Like, that's how much of a cosy he, thing it seems to be. He's got a history be. with them, though, hasn't he? Mercedes, in its yeah. current guise, and Toto specifically, have got a lot of history with Williams. Oh, for so sure, yeah. There's there's probably um, and a lot, I, a lot I can't Mercedes engines. Don't, don't Williams run Mercedes engines? Currently, yeah. 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 And, you know, I'm, I'm not the only person to think of this by a long stretch but the one of the first things that came to my mind was is this Mercedes being happy for him to go away and cut his teeth as a team principal knowing that in a few years time they're probably going to need a replacement for Toto Wolf yeah quite possibly yeah 
it you know potentially works out very nicely for everyone doesn't it yeah mm. um but yeah it's a really interesting appointment not completely out of the blue like normally with these things you start seeing rumblings sort of in the days or hours before and this was there was nothing not even a hint yeah. of it yeah. it's the it's the time of year it's because no one's walking around formula one paddocks yeah know, yeah yapping away to to anyone it's just all <laughs> yeah. done behind closed doors and there's no one to spread secrets to because they're not interacting with each other like they would through a season are they yeah i yeah, suppose exactly. this explains the uh capital decision as well yeah, yeah. So it must, in theory, it's been in the works for a little while because when was that? That was sort of at, just after the end of the season. It was like early to mid December, I think. Yeah, yeah. It was when they said they started having the conversations. So is is just Capito just gone? He's not. Yeah, yeah he was. Anymore. He was gone as of December. So yeah, like he might have been. To be fair, this might have been in the episode that uh, we didn't have yeah, you for can we, when can you were we just unwell. Quickly recap some of that. So let let because we've got a bit of a web of team principles. Yeah. Kind of, stuff going on here so it'd be just nice to get a little recap of what's going on so the general gist with joss capito seems to be that he had a direction and a plan for what he thought needed doing with the team and he was every time he talked about growing the team he always talked about you know what needs to happen over five six seven years and it generally is agreed from what i have read that the owner's didn't agree with that direction after the couple of years he was working with it, which is why they decided to end that tenure early, um, basically. Right. So, um, and the other team principles. So we, so Andreas so Seidel has gone, has left McLaren to go to Alfa Romeo. Yeah. Well, technically, he's gone to. I think officially he is now employed by Audi, but. Alpha so Mayo, he will be Sauber, the Audi, will, yeah. yeah. He'll However, be the Audi he principal when no, Audi he begins. is now their CEO. So technically, they do still need a team principal. Okay, but he will probably become CEO slash team principal. I imagine for this season, he'll probably take up both of those because I, I think yeah. I'm right in saying under FIA rules, a team principal is a job that has to exist within a Formula One team as part of the rules. So I would assume he will like take on that job title for this season until they bring someone new in basically yeah and so then we've got a, a different andrea who's yeah to mclaren yeah so he has been promoted from within i'm just trying to remember his name andrea stella is the new team right, principal yeah. McLaren. so so that it'll save money on jumpers won't it because they can still put as on the on the new team <laughs> exactly yeah here, Fun, so. funnily enough Made a similar comment at the time, yeah. saying, "Did you?" It's, it's just it's, oh, they've, they've employed him because it's so close to the other spelling. And then his replacement will be Andre Lotra because I can just take another letter off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, um, okay. So, do we know much about him? Or so he was. He's been at McLaren for a good number of years now. He was previously at Ferrari. Um, yeah. He was their executive director of racing since 2019. Um, so he's very much a guy who's embedded within the team. And yeah. as much, uh, I think our sort of conclusion we came to last week was as much as I think Zach, um, Andreas Sardel leaving was perhaps a bit of a surprise, it feels like Andreas Stella was the guy that Zach Brown had in mind as like a future person for that job anyway. So it seemed like an easy decision to promote him up. 
Mm. Um, yeah, because none, none of that really seemed very acrimonious at all, or at least on the no, outside, it, didn't. it all seemed really kind of like almost planned, like everyone knew yeah. everything was going to happen kind of thing. So mm-hmm. it sounds like Andreas Seidel has been quite honest with them throughout the whole thing. He's not like it seems that way. sort of dropped them in it. He's been like, look, if, if, you know, if something comes up with Audi, then they've been talking to me. If, if they do it, then I think I'm going to go for it kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, and then we've got um, the Ferrari. Obviously, the big Ferrari change, which I never got a chance to talk about. Yep. So obviously, Fred Vasseur has now gone to Ferrari, um, which, yeah, as we say, officially the only team principal job open on the grid now is the Alfa Romeo one. But yeah. probably going to have that kind of taken up just in terms of the paperwork by uh, yeah. Andreas Seidel. So. I mean, that's you've already spoke about it, but I wanted to sort of just have a little bit of input on it. So, yeah, yeah. What is it about Fred Vasseur that everyone is so excited about for Ferrari? Like, why do people? I don't understand I th- why they why everyone rates him so highly when he's been sort of presiding over a team that yeah they've not had crazy budget, but I also don't think I mean- that they're necessarily the best team on the grid either so like for me why this is a such an exciting thing yeah for me his strength has always been in working with younger drivers like he's there's been a lot of young drivers who've come through that team that he's sort of been in charge of and he's previously worked in junior formula as well um the fact that he's got a really good relationship with Charles Leclerc probably helps his case as far as Ferrari are concerned. Um, yeah. The most overrated driver. Stu <laughs> starting the year. Gonna, the, the, the most overrated driver in Formula 1 meets the most overrated team principal in Formula 1. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, How many people can I offend today? In I know, in the first episode. <laughs> I mean, you, 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 you've only managed Ferrari so far, and that's normal. So yeah, that's quite normal. Up your game. It's to be expected. <laughs> Next on the menu, Red Bull. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I don't see. I, look, I'm excited to see what happens with him at the helm. I think whatever happens next season at Ferrari is going to be going to have been prepped by Matteo Binotto anyway. Yeah. Um, so if they have a really successful year, um, I, I think it was a bad idea getting rid of Matteo Matteo Binotto. I think. He needed another year. You can't get rid of someone like a year after their first season of a new, a whole new aero formula. Like it just seems. Yes, there was a lot of sort of strategy mistakes, but I don't think you can hold Matteo Binotto, Matteo Binotto responsible for all that. I think that's kind of like the strategy department's problem. And if he's been trying to make changes to it, then think. But then it sounded like he sort of left of his own accord, right? Officially, well, that's he the did. Ferrari way, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you will resign now. Yeah, yeah I suppose. He wakes up in a horse's think... head in his bed. Uh, yeah. Morning, there oh, is... It's time for me to leave. There is an element of that, though. I think I've mentioned it before in the past, which, even before he went, like, uh, as a why he shouldn't have gone. And I think that it is a bit scapegoated to just basically say it's all the team principal's fault, especially if the team principal is trying to instigate some changes within the areas that are a problem, such as strategy and not getting the backing from higher in the in the organization or, or yeah. what whatever the reason might be. Like I mean I think me and you have kind of reminisced on this, Stu, for a, a a couple of times, but like for a while, Ferrari had stability 
and they've won championships. Yeah. Ever since it's been a rotating door of team principals, they've won nothing. Granted, yeah, they've come at... closer on a couple of occasions, but the difference is the consistency. The consistency of Todd and the consistency of Braun, both those eras proved successful yeah. for a and reason. Then, and then if you look at teams like Red Bull and Mercedes, <clears throat> consistency again. You know, yeah, yeah, Red Bull's been a bit of a revolving door of drivers on one side of the garage, but not so than the other. And on the Vettel slash Verstappen side of the garage, they've had consistency there. And then obviously on the top, Adrian Newey, Christian Horner, both been there for many, many, many years. And yeah. Won many, many championships. And then the same applies to Mercedes. You know, one really since the since Hamilton started and since since the new formula as well. It's been Toto and Hamilton for that whole time. Pretty yeah. much, and they've been extremely successful that whole time. So it's such a contrast compared to Ferrari, who have just been, yeah, revolving door kind of baby out with the bathwater every time things yeah. don't quite go right. And it's just not the it's no way of running a sports team, is it? I mean, it's not it's not quite the same yet, but you only have to look at sort of since um, McLaren. McLaren changed yeah. like. All, all all the infrastructure that they've got. And don't get me wrong, there's been there's been obviously some changes. Um but there's there's enough consistency there that it's not upset the balance too much. Um, yeah, I think you need you need to the thing with McLaren is they're giving him the space and the time to uh we're talking about Zach Brown here to, to yeah. execute a vision, you know, across the across the company and across the across the across the team. And it is over time, slowly starting to bear yeah. fruit from McLaren. You know, they're winning races yeah. again. It's, they're not winning loads of races, but they've won races in recent yeah. years. And, you know, at the time when when everything was up in the air, when we had, you know, again, revolving door team principals, revolving door drivers, revolving door engine suppliers, then <laughs> um, there was just no... There was no path to success exactly. clear from any of that because the path is constantly winding and changing and going yeah. from crossroads. Whereas if you if you just got one vision and you follow that from you know give yourself a, a window of time across say ten years, then the only way if it's a good vision, the only way is up. If it's a bad vision, then thing. But you need to give these things. The point is you need to give these things time to play out. It, yeah, it doesn't happen overnight, and yeah. I don't think a lot of people realize and and the only reason they've changed team principal is because the team principal has left it's not them that's gotten rid of it uh, yeah gotten rid yeah. of the, the position even it, it's yeah. it's the team principal moving to somewhere else which is a very different scenario it um, is a big loss for mclaren i think the seedle I, I do losing I, is a huge loss. yeah i do i do think that a, a lot of that turnaround in form is part of the the sort of the way of working that andreas sile brought into that team but I do also think that the consistency of like Zach Brown's presence, Lando's quite a big part of that team from a driver perspective now. I think there's enough stability there elsewhere that it's not it's not like a killer blow or anything like that. You're not losing the one key piece because there's there's others that will step into the gap essentially. Yeah, it will um, be until Seidel poaches Lando to Audi in 2025, well, 2026. Yeah. <laughs> But then there'll be another, there'll be a whole new, you know, generation of prodigy drivers, won't they, by then? So hopefully. Hope, hopefully. Uh, yeah. A couple of other little bits on Williams just before we move on. Um, so Gulf tweeted a few days ago, big F1 news coming soon with a picture of a, a blacked out 
sort of Formula One car silhouette, it's pretty widely expected that that's going to be a Williams thing and that, because obviously Golf were partnered with McLaren until the end of last season, uh, it's pretty widely expected that Williams are the team that Golf are going to be joining up with, whether that's just a, a smaller sponsorship like they had with McLaren with just a logo on the side or whether that's going to be a full Golf livery title sponsorship. We'll see. But the fact that they put a silhouette of an F1 car on the post gives me hope that it's going to be a full, a full on golf liveried Williams, which would be very cool. Yeah, if it was going to be McLaren, they would have just announced that it's McLaren. Because they yeah, they McLaren. they made a point of announcing that that partnership ended um, at the end of last season. So, um, yeah, and I can't think who else it would be. Honestly, like most of the teams already have some kind of fuel oil type partner. So, yeah, you name it, they've. You name the old company they've got yeah. it. I've not seen Shell. Oh no, Shell are on the Ferrari, aren't they? Yeah, Who's, Shell. Are. Um, Texaco. You don't see many Texaco. There. No, they're not with anyone. <laughs> they, they've been on. They've been on the Red Bull in recent times. I do believe. I could be wrong. Our Red Bull, but, uh, anyway, mobile. You know, yeah, what? that's not an interesting. I'm, un- I'm, un- I'm uncomfortable. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> Just naming oil brands. <laughs> um, like, shall we not one, do that? One brand that won't be joining up with Williams is Porsche. Have you seen all of this Porsche stuff going on today? What well, is there was, this? A, there was a lot of oh, weird stuff God. because of them deleting a lot of... Was it on it's the Formula been, E account that deleted a bunch hilarious. of stuff? It's Porsche have sent F1, Twitter, and Reddit insane today. So basically, their Formula E account, they deleted all of their posts and put up this weird teaser video that an announcement was coming today and someone on reddit like went through it frame by frame and found this blurry image of what people decided was um (laughs) frank williams in a set of headphones and was like oh my god porsche williams it's happening it's gonna be everyone was primed for it (laughs) the time finally came for the announcement and literally all it was was porsche were changing their formula e account to a general motorsport account and giving it a bit of a rebrand and they made this massive deal about an announcement just because of a rebrand of an instagram account and everybody lost their minds over it it's been hilarious to watch there was a hundred percent a social media team at porsche just knowing that they were trolling the f1 community at that point. it was either that or they didn't realize and saw them getting excited and were like oh no what have we done we've got nothing for them <laughs> they're all going to be so disappointed <laughs> You know There's what? a new version of Porsche Supercar. <laughs> We're now using a new version of the 911. <laughs> it's just making me think of that um, that John Travolta from Pulp Fiction meme. The, where he's yeah, just he's got his really hands was. out. It's just the internet, everyone. That's yeah. what that is, isn't it? Just, oh my God. <laughs> the internet being the internet. Right, next yeah. on the list, uh, Andretti Cadillac. More. Yeah. More. Speaking of news yeah. that came out of the blue. So Wow. Uh, Michael Andretti's formally announced intention to submit an entry to F1 uh, in collaboration with General Motors, specifically the Cadillac brand. Huge inverted commas over the word collaboration. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so there's been no confirmation either way as to whether they would be producing power units. Um, It's pretty widely believed that Andretti have already got like a preliminary agreement with Renault so the expectation is that it would initially be rebadged that, Renault that, power units that famous General Motors brand Renault mm. <laughs> um, I mean to be fair Cadillac do have 
hybrid race car experience like they you know they make prototypes for imsa um yeah so it's not like it's completely alien to them but i mean what the new engine formula is 2026 that's not long to build from the ground up um no but it's a lot more simple that engine formula than what we've got it will be a lot simpler yeah you could start like today, and if you work really hard, you'd, you'd have. Uh, yeah, engine. you'd. Would it be very good? Who knows? Probably I suppose. You I suppose it. you'd you'd kind of rebadge for now in the guise of building for the new formula, wouldn't you? Yeah, if they wanted and then to release yeah. your own ones, the new formula. Yeah, if they wanted to join us exactly. in twenty twenty six, definitely. Yeah. Um. So interesting around all this. Obviously, Andretti have been trying to get a way in for probably best part of a year now it's been at, at least, least public I, they were, they were more big time that. lobbying hard in miami weren't they yeah, yeah. just going around getting there, signatures non-stop yeah um which pissed everyone off by the way but. yeah very much so <laughs> <laughs> there's an amazing photo of um michael andretti badgering christian horner and christian horner just giving him a look of like what, what are you doing <laughs> what do you want from me um, so, Mohammed Ben Suleiman, the FIA president, was very welcoming of the news and, like, you know, tweets about how great it was to have these brands wanting to come in. F1 itself just released a statement saying, uh, We want to ensure the championship remains credible and stable, and any new entrant requests will be assessed on criteria to meet those objectives, blah, blah, blah. Any new entrant request requires the agreements of both F1 and the FIA, which is a roundabout way of saying, just because the president we likes it doesn't agree. mean we too. Yeah. Yeah. And Stefan Domenicali, the F1 CEO, has said repeatedly that he doesn't think Championship needs new teams. Um, what then, what is his justification in that? I'd love to know his justification for that. Yeah, it's weird. Like, I, I, I don't know if it's not wanting to upset the existing teams or whether it's F1 wanting to avoid the image of having like slow teams at the back who were just useless. Because obviously, as much as it was <laughs> nice to have the three extra teams in like the early 2010s, it was very much, there was what, um, HRT, Caterham, Virgin, who had different names at different points, were always at the back. And it I was mean, almost a bit of a joke. Tell tell that to Williams and Haas over the last five yeah. years. Well, yeah, like... Literally took the words out of my mouth. Yeah, is a new team going to be that much slower? Yeah. Um, so yeah, like so, so, yeah, do, do do the yeah do the thing. Yeah, Bansiyama came back to say he was surprised by the adverse reaction and said, from his point of view, there's no reason not to expand to twelve teams. Um, there was lots of talk about the other teams not liking it, but it was all very behind closed doors. A couple of team principals now have sort of softened their stance a bit. Toto Wolff has said it's that they're very much making a statement with that announcement. Zach Brown said it was a compelling proposition, although worth saying that Zach Brown has an association with Cadillac from other series he's um, got, you know, race cars in. And it's it feels like this is highlighting this rift between the FIA and F1 that we've talked about a few, a few times. Like yeah. it feels like the two organizations want different things for the sport and don't agree with each other's decisions. Like, yeah. So there's a, there's a few factors at play here. Um, 
I think the first one that made... So, like, it's easy to jump on the Formula One teams and say, oh, they're being babies, they're spitting the dummy out, they don't want to... They're being greedy, they don't want to share the... Um, the the the, the 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 prize money yeah to, to put it in the most basic um terms <clears throat> but there's lots of other factors at play here so for 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 the president of the fia to just come out and say these guys are i'm excited for this team to be potentially joining formula one is kind of like it's a little bit pushy of it is. to do that because formula one could be assessing other potential teams mm-hmm. that ha- have a better potential entry than yeah. what Andretti have. So there's that side of it. There's it, it seems like a premature announcement, you know, before Andretti have actually got a team to to, yeah. to call themselves a Formula One team. The next thing is the the idea that uh cadillac is it cadillac yeah yeah that was the, the, the idea that cadillac can just come along and stick their sticker on a on a on, a, on another engine in the way tag hoyer did with with the renault for red bull um and so it just that kind of stinks to a lot of the formula one teams as well because they've spent millions and millions building their brands and making these formula one teams successful so for then an american team an American car brand who's one of their biggest rivals, particularly for, say, Mercedes in the States, to just come along and say, oh, we're a Formula One team now, but we're going to buy our engine, buy engines from someone else, put our, you know, our branding on it, and we're, you know, we'll sell cars based on our Formula One team. That kind of, that's not cool, right? You, If you're, like, in competition with that company, you want them to be spending the money to make their formula one team a proper formula one team not not just rebadging uh renault while i completely agree with that that criticism is also a bit rich from a lot of existing teams on the grid who have done exactly that over the years like red bull alone have had renault engines with aston martin um branding yeah. over the car that had the Renault engine that was a Tag Heuer engine. That right now that seems to switch between being a Red Bull and a Honda engine every other yeah. week. Like Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that's that... just to, that's just to pick one team. Like other teams have been at it as well. Yeah. Well, I don't I like I say, I don't disagree with you. It's just at least the thing is that they were already in the sport. They're not coming into the sport based off of anything else. They're, yeah. At least they're already yeah. in the sport, and they've they've uh, you know they've had their relationships with the with the engine suppliers, and they've some of them have even made their own engines, you know. Um, and then I think there's, the other side of it is just the politics side of it for for sort of that team to be well that future potential team to be walking around the way they are, and sort of pretending like it's going to happen without actually getting any confirmation from anywhere is also rubbing everyone up the wrong way. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's a really weird situation. I can see arguments the other way as well. You know, I can see like how it's weird that Formula One set up a whole livery for a Formula One car for Audi when Audi, when they yeah. Audi were joining and set up a whole stand there when Audi aren't joining until 2026. So that is also strange to me. I think the world of Formula One and the world of entering Formula One as a team is a bizarre world. But the idea that you have to spend two hundred grand, no, two was it two hundred million? Two hundred million, yeah. two hundred million, yeah. just to enter the sport because the other teams need paying off. 
is just a strange, strange concept. Yeah. Like, surely the... I get there's like commercial rights and I get there's like prize fund and, and all that and like other teams sort of are worried about losing out because the new team's entrance that this prize fund's going to be spread, you know, 10% thinner to everyone. Everyone's yeah. going to lose 10% of their prize fund. But the value that that team can potentially bring to the sport would probably outweigh the 10% that they'd lose. So the prize fund would probably go up by 10% anyway. So yeah. it seems like a a needless obstacle to stop teams getting in and i think a lot of them are just afraid of a fight i think a lot of them are scared of coming 11th instead of 10th yeah especially down the bottom of the grid you know so it is yeah it's a complex it's a very very complex one and it's very strange how public it all is like it's a very brash approach they're taking and i think part of that is which i think is working is that the way andretti have gone about this is he's got a lot of Formula One fans on his side. So yeah. whenever F1 push back, you've got all the fans, you know, complaining about it, which it, it, if that was his intention, I think he's a, in a way it's a, a smart thing strategy. The weird thing is that... We'll see if it plays out. I mean, t- <laughs> to be fair, F1 haven't really risen to that yet. They've released a couple of quite, you know, business speak statements. But for the FIA president to be very much rising to that and like you know matching that strategy is a bit much i don't know the whole situation is very strange um it's, I mean, it's I'd like love... they're hanging it's like they're airing their dirty laundry in public yeah absolutely okay yeah. and I'd, i would <laughs> love, just, love just to the see formula one way like yeah i would love to see happen i think another team done. on the grid would be great and like having an andretti team in f1 would be brilliant i think it'd be really good it. for the like, sport there's twenty. Well, there's there's room for twenty six cars on a Formula One grid. Yeah. And currently, there's only twenty. So you find me a fan that doesn't want all twenty six yeah. cars on the grid. You know, starts yeah. look just having those extra six cars. If you go back to the races from like what twenty twelve, thirteen, fourteen, well, ten, eleven, yeah. twelve, maybe. Be about right. All those cars on the grid going through turn one, just adding six to it, just makes such a big difference like it looks yeah. like such a more packed grid and looks it's, yeah it, it amps up the excitement by orders of magnitude just by having extra cars there so they need to i think they definitely need to remove some of these obstacles for new teams coming in i think if it's, it's i'm optimistic that if you know if the reason they are getting upset about it is because there are other teams with better prospects than andretti then you know why not? If 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 Andretti have got the money and they're happy to pay the two hundred million to to join, then why not let them join? And also, same for any other team that wants to join. If they've got that two, however X million that it because it because it changes every time you get a new team, yeah. isn't it? Because they need to yeah. compensate everyone. But if they've got the money to bring it in, and they want to run a Formula One car and spend their money, and if they want to get beat, or if they've got a program that they think they can make work, then you know why not let them have a go. And if they get if they get absolutely hammered by everyone else, then fair enough, that's Formula One. But at least give them a chance to get beat. Yeah. Or you don't even let them in in the first place. Yeah. It's don't you bizarre. decide they're not up to scratch before they've even. Yeah. 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 I, mean, I get there's you know you got to have due diligence. You can't have a hazard going around on the track. No, you exactly. Um, a moving I mean... chicane. God knows F1's had that problem in the past, but yeah, yeah but I mean, we've got a lot. I mean, has... We've got a lot of rules in place for that. Like, there's the 107 percent rule, isn't there? So you've got yeah, exactly. qualifying times that if you're not within 
a certain time of the cars ahead, you aren't qualifying on that grid. And yeah, fair enough, you get exceptions to that where there's a bit of an anomaly in qualifying that's caused them to qualify outside of that, but they set reasonable times in like free practice and so on and proven that they're on the pace. But it's not that long since we've literally had cars disqualified from races because of them not being able to meet that. So in fact, wasn't wasn't the one during the earlier days of Haas? Ah, where they were disqualified for some, for, or at least one of them was for not being able to meet the rule. I feel like it was while they had the horrible rich energy branding. Yeah, possibly. Oh, maybe. I don't know. Let's not. Let's not. We need to leave that word out. Let's not give that any more airtime. Yeah, yeah. I'm reading. I'm actually reading the uh, racing with rich energy book at the moment. It's very interesting. Oh goodness, there's a book. Who wrote it? No, it's 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 basically outsider. Yeah, just investigating how it ever even happened and like all the behind the scenes stuff and a lot of interviews people. Let me know when you finished it. I'll borrow that off you. Yeah, I have, yeah, I, have I have Kindle format, I'm afraid, so I can't ah, easily lend that to you. I'll Kindle it myself <laughs> then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, should we move on to the next thing? Let's talk. Yeah, rules. Well, let's just just really quick conclude. Like everyone, just say how on a scale of one to ten, how are you, excited are you at the prospect of having an Andretti Cadillac on the grid in Formula One? Oh, ten! It'd be fantastic. Tom. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Let's go nine. Yeah, I'm and... about a 9 or a 10, I'd say. I'm kind of at the point where I don't really care who it is anymore as long yeah, as it's a, more a new team that yeah. can moderately compete. But this is the thing I was going to say. like, It's not like this is just some random that's come out of nowhere. Like, Andretti know how to make race cars yeah. and run race teams. Yeah. Like, It's a pretty big name to be coming in. Yeah. And then to have General Motors be like, oh, yeah, we'll have a bit. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll see and hope, I suppose. Um, right, we've got some rule changes that have been confirmed for this coming season. Um, I'll rattle through some of them because they're a bit, they're just numbers, but there's some really interesting stuff in here. Uh, so there's a bunch of ride height and diffuser changes that are aimed at tackling poor poison. Um, they're raising floor edges, the diffuser throats, they're making diffuser edges stiffer, and there's more mandated sensors that's all around making poor poison slash bouncing, whatever you want to call it go away interesting they've managed to avoid the teams have managed to sort of somehow stop them looking at spring rates and damper damping rates and things yeah like that. they've only gone for sort of the aero side of it not yeah yeah, yeah. whereas I, surely a huge part of porpoising is to do with spring rates and diffusers. well i suppose those what's the word um Suspension struts. No, obviously these cars don't have suspension struts, but the 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 the, the McPherson <laughs> strut, the coil on a car you have a coil over and you have the pneumatic bit, which I've forgotten yeah. the name of. Yeah, and uh, rebound. It's like the rebound stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not that's not it, but yeah. Whatever. I suppose the the <laughs> rules they're brought in around the like acceptable levels of bouncing they bought in last year are still going to shock shock absorber there we go there it is that will still apply but yeah uh there's gonna be stronger roll hoops and more rigorous testing following uh joe's crash at silverstone which is a no-brainer um they're reducing the minimum car weight by a whole two kilograms guys 
which means I'll be I was trying to work out what that meant because I, I hate I hate this terminology they're, re- they're reducing the minimum by two kilos so it so can the now be weigh two more less less they they can they can <laughs> if they can find enough weight saving be up to two kilograms less however last season almost nobody was at the weight limit anyway so but the start yeah. is by the end of the only um by the end of the season the rebel absolutely was because that's yeah. what made the difference for max verstappen the only one to start the season under the weight limit was actually alfa romeo oh really believe it or not yeah everyone mm. else was way over the weight limit but um Alfa Romeo were actually at the weight limit, but uh, they were probably only just at it and they probably didn't change it much. But um, the reason I was reading the Red Bull was, wasn't a very nice car to drive at the start of the season for Verstappen because there wasn't enough weight over the front because it it was elsewhere in the car where they need to shave the weight off. Yeah. And it was only when they managed to move the, the weight, the distribution forward that they could give him the really pointy car that he likes in order to Mm -hmm. go fast. Interesting. um, there you go. Yeah, that's a big factor in the championship. Yeah. Um, they're increasing the size of the rearview mirrors. You might remember in a few FP1 sessions last year, they tested bigger mirrors and they're being bought in, which again seems like a sensible thing to do. Does, except they'll just vibrate way more and you won't be able to see. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> Flapping around all over the place. Yeah. Uh, officially doubled the amount of sprints to six, which we've already known and have talked about. Yeah. Yeah. There's been so this was the sticking point for a lot of teams around the increase in sprint races. They have increased the damage allowance in the budget cap for sprint races to three hundred thousand dollars per sprint, which essentially means if you have a crash in a sprint race, you are allowed up to three hundred thousand dollars over the budget cap to fix that damage. Essentially, I wonder wonder what it was a smaller number. It's now a bigger number. I wonder okay. what a financially a complete wreckage in a race is costing a team these days. Oh, I've been intrigued to know a lot more than three hundred. Yeah. Well, oh yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying that that covers it. More, it's more just. I'd be interested to know the financials of where that's at these days. Three hundred. Probably replace. I suppose it depends corner. on what to what extent you're damaged as well, because it's about how much of it is bodywork and how much of it is stuff like the drive shaft being ripped through the gearbox and completely destroying both, isn't it? And Look at it this way. Like when, you, when you consider one brake disc for a Formula 1 car is about probably about $30,000 yeah. just for a brake disc. And if you ch- if you damage one of those, then you've got to damage all of them. You've got to change all of them because they're all built yeah. to match each other and they yeah. all wear together. Um, so that straight away is over 100k just by taking a corner off the car. It's not much, is it? Mm. So, 300k yeah, is not going to go very far at all. In, in a, in or you, you could be Roman Grosjean who just wants to change brakes every week to a different manufacturer. Yeah. <laughs> if, you're, if you remember that, where he I kept do, swapping yeah. between Brembo and somebody else and somebody else. He had about three different brake manufacturers in one in about three races. <laughs> <laughs> they have also attempted to clear up the way grid penalties work a little bit. So the rule now says, this this is the non-confusing clarified version. Classified drivers who have accrued more than 15 cumulative grid position penalties or who have been penalized to start at the back of the grid will start behind any other classified driver. 
their relative position will be determined in accordance with their qualifying classification. So relative right. to anyone else who's got a penalty. So what that essentially means is... There's the penalty grid and the regular grid. So you take your qualifying grid as normal. Everyone qualifies in the order they're in. Any driver that's got a back-of-the-grid penalty or a 15-place or more penalty, they will all be taken out and just put to the back in the order they're in and everyone else shuffles forward, basically. Oh, that's that's not bad. Which actually makes a lot of sense. Rather than this, give this person a penalty, then this one, yeah. and you end up with people with a five-place penalty starting higher up than they qualify. That's good because it validates qualifying even when you've got a penalty. Exactly, yeah. yeah. There, there'll be no more of this, go out and do one lap in Q1 and then just go back to the garage. Nonsense. Yeah, you can still make a difference to your grid position either having had to... But that's very good. That's a yeah, really, really I, good I idea. do really like that. Um, then the most interesting in all of this is that there's qualifying format and DRS trials have been agreed on. So at one of the sprint races, they're going to trial having DRS at the start of the race and after safety cars active after one lap rather than the two it currently is. And if they think it's worked well, they might trial it again with a view to rolling that out permanently the following season. Um, I guess the thinking being is that more cars are going to be within DRS range a lap after the start. Which personally, I think just means everyone but the leader is going to have DRS on lap two, and it's yeah, going to completely whole, cancel itself it. out. The, the, but the rule, is, the rule is designed to protect the leader and validate pole position because if everyone, literally, if you've got everyone behind you, I guess like, I can see why they've they've kept that lap. So you've got you've at least got a lap to try and run away, but I don't know. It's I think yeah. it's going to be carnage. I think. It, uh, I'm I kind of like I'm intrigued, like yeah. I'm excited to see how it would how that would play out. And, and the I'm, fact that they're know, using a sprint to trial it is actually a really good idea, I think. Yeah, I mean that three hundred grand uh, <laughs> yeah. sprint race recovery <laughs> budget's not going to go very far <laughs> yeah. at all, is it? Based on this, but yeah. Um, and then the second trial they're going to do um, at up to two races, so one or two races, is a, a revision to the qualifying format. So basically what they're going to trial is Q1, only hard tires, Q2, only medium tires, Q3, only soft tires. Um, and as a result of that, every car will be getting only 11 sets of dry tires rather than the 13 that they currently have. This, this is one that... Which, which car's best on each tire? Wow. Basically, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not I'm not sure how I feel about this one, to be brutally honest with you. Because Why? kind of part of the interesting thing of qualifying is like watching the bigger teams try and get through on a Yeah. On a harder tire to, to conserve different compounds. Yeah. Like I mean, yes, that's happened a little bit less since the way that you start the you used to start the race on the compound you used in Q two. Obviously, all those rules yeah. changed, didn't they? So you see it a little bit less now, but there is still definitely an element of trying to get through Q two on maybe a different set of tires to what you normally would. And I kind of like watching the lower teams chuck softs on and threaten the top teams that are running on yeah. mediums to to basically force them to to run harder, yeah. like. It, I don't know. I I feel well, like they're taking tires, something yeah. that's not broken and breaking it. But exactly. yeah, I mean, well, yeah. Let's well, see what the two the two events if they do it at two turn out yeah. like. But I just feel like they they penalising the 
the lower teams down the grid there with that me, with that rule. You're right. You're definitely right. And you say no one asked for this. <laughs> so yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, this is <clears throat> does seem pointless. I think what's the point in having three different compounds of tire if you're going to force everyone to run the same tire? Yeah. Just, you might as it, yeah. well just be have a qualifying tire for each session and just have yeah have them always run on softs. Like, what's the point in having them on hard, then medium, then thing? And also, like each car, obviously each car runs differently on each tire. You know, some hmm. cars really really like the medium tire, other cars yeah. really don't like the medium tire, and so on. So, and it you know the same applies to each compound of tire. So really, you're unfairly disadvantaging teams that of that are not particularly keen on particular types of tire you're taking away that strategic op- excuse me the strategic option of them to yeah. improve their grid position by running the tire that they want using the facilities yeah. they have available to them plus it means every driver is going to have exactly the same tires for the race as well like well the only way you'd have difference in tires is if you did less running in qualifying so you'd have slightly fresher tires but everyone's going to have the same compounds left for the race so mm. It sort of removes that as well. It, it, and again, for me, it just puts too much emphasis on your car's ability to use all three compounds. I, yeah. I, I don't know if that should be the most important factor. But Well, yeah, yeah what's I mean, the point yeah, in choosing ideally, your allocation for the weekend if you're yeah. then being forced into using certain... Well, they can't anymore. Qualify. They don't choose their allocations anymore. They just get given them by Pirelli these days. Mm. They never... Because yeah, they brought that in during like the the COVID season that they, they got did away with the yeah. allocations of Prelly just yeah, chose true. it and they just never went back, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing, but it makes it, it makes the supply a lot easier for. Oh yeah. Because I mean, that's, that's ultimately what this is about. Producing, so. It's to cut down the number of sets that they have to make. Yeah. And it it's, helps it's with F1's green. It's two sets per car, isn't it? So that's like 40 yeah. sets of tires per race. So, how many is that over the course of a season? Like it's a lot less to cars around. Eight sure. hundred tires less, more than that they. So I, I get, I get that. The, the thing is, that's where this is rooted. This is rooted in the how can we save nearly a thousand tires being manufactured each season? I know. Let's force what they're using quality so that we can give them less overall. That well, then why it feels like that's where it's that. rooted. Yeah. Well. I mean, because I, I'm maybe reading too far between the lines, but to me that that's rooted more in let's save how many tires we manufacture over the course of a season. Yeah, which th- is a good thing. More so than it is let's improve the event. And yeah, yeah it's exactly. not it's not that saving the tires is a bad thing. I, I agree completely. Like yeah. it's I, good it's good for them to be efficient. But I think that having it as a guise to basically say Oh, we're going to make some alterations to to qualifying, like as yeah, a don't trial. Don't pretend it's something else. Don't pretend exactly. it's something else. When just you could be actually upfront about it, it, just be upfront and use it as an asset. Like why yeah. pretend that it's yes? Yeah. You know, we're, we're shaking things up when actually no, you just try to save tires and you're trying to save oh. costs, which is a good thing anyway. Or just tell them that there's going to be eleven sets and it's still up to them how they use it. Like why yeah. why force them to do something? Like if a team wants to use a hard tire in q1 and q2 because they can why not let them yeah it, it makes everything so much more interesting though yeah. i think it's just it's one of those things where they're needlessly taking complexity out of something that's not necessarily that complex yeah <laughs> yeah so Agreed. they're trying to simplify it looks like 
from a if you if you take away the tire, let's just move on from the tire um, burden of Pirelli of making the tires. The another argument could be that they're trying to simplify qualifying and make it easier to follow for the audience. And if everyone's on the same tire compound, then they know sort of where they stand each time. But then you know, no yeah, one's really paying during qualifying. Everyone's going as fast as they can at a given point anyway, so it doesn't really matter what tire compound they're on. You know. The only time mm. it matters what tire compound you're on is when you're one of the top teams and you're trying to save soft tires so you've got more for the race. Yeah. But yeah, that is I mean it's the one we've spoke about most and it's the most Because it's tire talk <laughs> and this is back of the grid. That's what we do. That's what we do. Yeah, it really is. Tire watch twenty twenty three. Oh god. Uh, and the last little thing from the rules that's come out is that uh, it's also been confirmed that F one aren't going to return to alternating race directors and that Niels Vittich <laughs> is just going to be the race director, which I think that, is... That experiment that just failed completely anyway. Mm. Yes, very quickly. Um, all right, cool. Right, this this might not seem like a news story we'd normally cover, but I promise you it's interesting. Um, <laughs> McLaren have confirmed that for the 2024 Indy 500, they're going to be running a third car for NASCAR champion Kyle Larson. Not normally not a thing we talk not, about. Not only is this not news we normally talk about, but it's also in a year's time. So it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. However, it is interesting, and I thought I'd bring it up because he's attempting the double, which basically Ooh. means he's going to run the Indy 500, then get on a plane, fly 435 miles to Charlotte, and then gain his NASCAR and do the Coca-Cola 600 at Charlotte Motor Speedway on the same day. Um, what? Only yeah, it's, it's only been attempted nine times before by four drivers. Uh, Tony Stewart did it in two thousand and one, and he's the only person that's ever done the full eleven hundred miles of racing in a single day. You can tell Zach Brown's CEO these days, can't you? Oh, you really can. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a Zach Brown thing to have organised. I tell you what, well, I, I, did, I've, I, I, I mean, Zach, know this was a thing. Zach so, was behind no. the whole Alonso trying to sort out his triple crown as well, wasn't he? Yeah. So, like, it, this is like, this is Zach Brown's thing. In the he same way that like Red this. Bull's thing is the youngest something. Like, they're always trying to get young drivers to break certain records. Zach Brown's thing is breaking, like, like crazy, crazy endurance or crazy multidiscipline records. <laughs> I'll tell you I what, like though, that, I've. Though. I've never watched an NASCAR race in its entirety in my life. I will absolutely watch both of those races that day. I think it sounds yeah. super cool. Um, wow. Indy 500 yeah. is a tough race, man, to go to finish yeah. that and then go and do another one. Oof, I mean, I can wild. imagine. I've never, like, as with Chris, I've never really watched any NASCAR to any serious degree, but I can imagine the 600 is just as intense, if not more so intense yeah. than the Indy 500. Yeah, I've seen, like, I've seen what NASCAR not, drivers are like. <laughs> it's like a Gran Turismo fast, lobby. You? You're not going quite as fast, are you? You're not, definitely so, not going as fast, to my knowledge. But the body would wouldn't suffer less through the yeah uh, yeah. But the um, the aggression is. is far higher in NASCAR yeah. than what it is in any other. Yeah, well, they're sport. all drafting each other and stuff, aren't they? So, yeah. yeah, and purposely taking each other out. <laughs> it is very much like a Gran Turismo lobby in there in that sport from what I've seen. <laughs> 
depends um, on then... the depends on your driver level, Tom. <laughs> yeah, true. It shows that I don't play much Gran Turismo when every time I get to turn <laughs> one, I get smashed into the corner. <laughs> then, last thing to talk about is Formula E. We've had the first race with the new uh, Gen Three cars at the weekend in Mexico. Uh, won pretty convincingly actually by Jake Dennis for Andretti. Um, I don't know if you watched it, Tom. I know you did, Stu. Mm-hmm. Um, what'd you think? Good. What were your thoughts? They look quick. They do look quick. The burnouts <laughs> at the start of the race, you literally couldn't see the grid. So, <laughs> the yeah, grid just disappeared. <laughs> yeah, I think a few people were caught out by how much more power yeah. <laughs> and how much smoke the new tyres generate on a burnout. Um, but yeah, I thought it was good. The cars look quick, really quick. So um, they're about 30 or 40 horsepower less than a Formula 3 car right now. Yeah. And they probably weigh a chunk more. So the lap time probably isn't as quick as a Formula, Formula 3 car. But they do look really, really rapid compared to last year's. I the think. acceleration off the line faster. was mind-blowingly quick. Yeah. Even by electric car standards, they look so fast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's. I mean, this is. This, they're still rear-wheel drive, aren't they, as well? You'd think they were four-wheel yeah. drive how quick they were getting off the line. Mm. Um, obviously, they've got the facility to do four-wheel drive because they do have a motor in the front now for regen, and they do have drive shafts to each wheel at the front. So they're using that for the braking and for regen and the rear-wheel drive for, rear wheels for braking as well. Um, yeah, really, it's a cool-looking car. I often I call it protractor racing now because they do look a bit <laughs> like a protractor, but at I the do. same time... A very, very fast, very cool protractor with lots of fancy colours and lights and things on it. Um, yeah, I, I do... loved it. I thought it was a really good, really good race as well. It, it felt like there was less overtaking than the average Formula E race. Now, that circuit wasn't necessarily the best for it. I think as well, these new generation cars are maybe a bit more fragile, so they're not going to be quite as bumper car-y as they traditionally have been in Formula E, which is probably a good thing for the look because Formula E at times just looks a bit silly when they're just barging each other out of the way. So I think if they're forced to be a bit more delicate with their overtakes, that's probably a good thing. This didn't look like that. This, to me, this looked like a proper, you know, high-level, high-tier Formula race. Like It felt like a single-seater race, didn't it, rather than touring cars that look like single-seaters. Yeah, yeah. This <laughs> definitely had the feel of like a. It felt like Formula One to me. Like it, it, they look, they're that quick around the circuit, through the corners and things, and, and they look great. Acceleration on the things, they look fantastic. Um, I can't. So we can't talk about Formula E without talking about the new broadcast graphics package <laughs> and the oh. the octopus slap. That oh no! Have every they, time you watch a replay, have they like? done something with this new logo and made everything else just you know as what unbearable it's kind of cool like i actually don't hate it yeah it's, a, it's mm. an interesting way of doing a transition but okay. series interfering but um it is a bit distracting <laughs> yeah but but and and to me it does look like just an octopus tentacle flying on the screen slapping it and then wiping the next <laughs> really shot does. on but um that's because I'm a child. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think they also need to do a better job of explaining the attack mode because they've changed yeah. this season. And I still and don't feel so like better. I fully understand it. Right. Because okay. the TV graphics do not explain it in the slightest. <laughs> no. So so now I don't know the all the ins and outs because I, I've not 
really watched any preview or anything for Formula E this season. But from what I gather from watching the race is they have four minutes total of football for this race previous just gone in Mexico. They had four minutes total of attack mode time that they could use on their car. And they had to go through the attack mode twice in the race. But for each of those two times they go through attack mode, they can have a different amount of time. So they could either have two minutes both times they go through, or they could have Mm. one minute the first time, three minutes the second time, or three minutes the first time, Mm. one minute the second time. And it just meant that everyone... Everyone who people people were on attack mode at the same time, but had different amounts left from the very big from from the moment they go through the activation zone. So yeah, you, if you're ahead and you've only got a minute of attack mode, and the person behind you has gone for a three minute attack mode, then obviously they're going to have two extra minutes to attack you, and then hopefully pull away. Um, but you're going to have another three minutes to come back at them with later yeah. on in the race. So it, it adds that extra dynamic and it's a really, really clever way Where, of distributing When's the time. the time set? I'm guessing it's like a pre-race thing or can yeah, you, do it, can you the, change it on the fly? The one bit, this is the one bit I'm not sure about. I don't know whether they make a strategic decision before the race begins or whether they do it on the fly. It's, it's yeah. so be interesting know... to find out. I know last season they didn't tell the teams what the attack mode was going to be and how it worked until something like 15 or 20 minutes before the race because they didn't want the bigger teams to be able to go away and you know crunch numbers with supercomputers and find out the most efficient way. So I would guess they're still doing the same thing and not giving them much notice of it. Hmm. But, um, be interesting to know how that that bit is decided though, when how how and when they decide how much to have, because it's it's kind of throwing back into the mix an element of strategy, isn't it? Like yeah, exactly. Choosing that's like, that's choosing like to it. to take a minute now of you know your attack time, like I can get past this guy in front with some attack time. I'm gonna take a minute and save the rest for later. Or you know, there's a train of three cars in front of me. I can do them all. I'm gonna take three minutes and just just get as far forward as I can and get into clear air. Like, there's definitely a strategy to it, so it'd be real interesting. And it is a little bit like a, you know, it's like making a bit of a off the cuff pit call, isn't it, in Formula One to yeah, exactly to give it some relative terms for for an F1 audience. It's it is like going like put me on the softs now or or whatever. Like it's got that that sort of element of giving the driver a bit of control yeah. back if they can make that decision exactly. in the cockpit. I like the idea of that. I hope it is from inside the cockpit. I don't think it'd be that difficult to implement because it'd just be a, a setting on the car as you go. Yeah, you just if like you know push, you're taking attack push, mode, you can push or one button or two. You can set yeah. up before the race if you know roughly how you're yeah. going to factor it up. Or it could even be a push button, you just push it twice. Well, push it once for every minute you want of your attack yeah. mode in that moment. So, yeah, I think it's really cool. Can you um, have it all at once? Have they said that that's no, not No, you've got to go through twice. You have you've to got... go through twice. Okay. And it, does so it have to be one-minute increments? Do, I think it's one-minute increments, yeah. So, okay. Well, yeah. It, for this race, just go on what it was. There's no, yeah. there's nothing to I, say. I they think they're going to do a different thing. The... Yeah, do it differently per race. Mm. I'm, I'm intrigued now. I want to see more of this and mm. see how it pans yeah. out. Um, um, and then in terms of like the broadcast, there was kind of, there was a, it wasn't, I mean, it's a bit meter to sort of start talking too much about broadcast on air, but they, uh, 
definitely it was one of those classic first races of the season where the whole crew were just like what are we doing yeah <laughs> the thing like the sound was a mess the flag at the end was oh man we can <laughs> we're actually gonna can we have an honorary uh sound bite tom you can honestly what the f- are we doing here <laughs> so joke dennis british driver won the race obviously and they somehow managed on the podium to use um, the old flag of Great Britain from before Ireland Time. was part of the Union. So this flag was hasn't been used since mm. 1801. <laughs> and it just very obviously is the wrong flag because it's missing some of the stripes. Mm. It's bizarre. Missing the it's red cross, so, isn't it? Yeah, so funny. Yeah. Like As in the X, the red X bit. I yeah. don't know how they got managed to do that. I don't, how on earth does that happen? Extremely yeah, like they're, they're funny. Flags as well. You're supposed to set all that up before the race. Weekend. Yeah. I just don't get how how they've made that mistake. But then saying that, you know, I've seen Formula One do, you know, wrong driver names, wrong driver colours, wrong team names. Yeah, that was also extremely well, funny. So, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, we're not we're not speaking here from the perfection <laughs> of Formula One, are we? Because we, we all know that the, the pinnacle of motorsport regularly i i just like it? the fact that it's a flag that's been decommissioned for over 200 years yeah yeah <laughs> that's even like a digital version of it, yeah. like, who, find it? Who, who, yeah. made, who did that maybe it was just someone who really doesn't like ireland uh, yeah maybe 100 percent because the name of it is the flag well, of Northern great ireland, britain and not the great britain the great british flag someone's 100 percent googled flag of great britain and that's on the wrong Wikipedia up. link. You know what? Like, yeah. That's what literally every time I need a flag, I will go flag of the nation. Yeah. And I there usually get the Wikipedia one and use that as a template. That'll be where it's come from. That is funny though. It is. Yeah. It is um, very strange. <laughs> Mentioned for Sam Bird, who's just... His, what, some things never change. His look continues. Sam, yeah, his <laughs> bad look just continues into a new formula of Formula E. Um... And also, uh, shout out to is it Jake Hughes. Yep, he Jake. did a. Is it Jake? Is his name Jake? Yes. Something yeah. Hughes from McLaren. Yeah, Jake Hughes. Um, drove a really good race, but dropped a position in the end. Kind of, it should, it should, he could have had a podium. I think he, he was just short of a podium. He was a bit unlucky, um, but it's his first race for Formula E and did an amazing job. Did you see the video of him walking into the? like little driver cool down room after the race no like the top three were all in there sat like sat around and he walked in and said something like is that formula e and they all just smiled and he's like yeah i think he's basically said like i've never done a race that hard in my life like Hmm. formula e continues its reputation of being one of the hardest motorsports out there and all the like experienced drivers are just like yep that's that's how it is and it's just getting quicker and quicker and quicker yeah that's the thing um like it's amazing. Just the we'll, we'll end on this, like about Formula. E, the the distance that Formula has come yeah. from, yeah, ha- from having cars that wouldn't even finish a full race to now having cars that are rivaling a Formula Three car, yeah, in terms of power, is I think pretty amazing. In the short space of time, you know, not even ten, not quite ten years. I think not this ninth season this year, I think. So in eight years, they've gone from that prototype. That didn't, yeah. couldn't do a full race to to what they've got now is crazy. It's 
quite quite super the, impressive. Uh, yeah, and it's um, just going to get better and better. Out of they, interest, they refer to it as season nine because they've always done season numbers, haven't they? During the yeah, I think the they are called season nine. nine. Oh, they're calling it season nine now. Because it's, it's yeah, all, it's, all the other... it's the first time it's all in the same year, isn't it? This year, it's all in the same calendar year for the first time. Because yeah. normally yeah, you've you know already what? started the season by now and done a race or two. The good news is they have like five more races, I think, or three, three or four more. Yeah, races. Yeah, the, the calendar looks a lot, like lot busier before... this year. Before the Formula One season even starts, so we're gonna yeah. have a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah, Formula One seasons. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I think they did get away with it a little bit in that the braking system doesn't quite work properly, and there are a few crashes in testing where the regen failed and the physical brakes can't do a good enough job to slow the car down. So they're kind of rushing an emergency braking system on for the next race. So they got a little bit lucky there, but. Well, you know, it worked for the race. If these things happen during testing, things break during testing. That's why you have testing. So it, it is the problem is they they didn't find a way to fix the fix problem. Yeah, yeah, that's a little sketchy, but yeah. bit of an issue there. Yeah, right. Anyway, anyway, would you like your sound bite? Yeah, go on. You can punch it now. Keep me saying now. Stay, stay out. Hey man. Hey man, it's been a while since I've heard that. It man. has. <laughs> Don't scare right. Yeah, well, let's start. Kilowog says, "Hey man, why is the grid so opposed to an Andretti entrance, uh, even with new man- manufacturers in quote marks, but so wildly big, welcoming?" Big fat quote marks. Oh, big yeah. fat quote marks. But they're so wildly welcoming of a Porsche entry where they also wouldn't actually be a full works team. I.e., in 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 summary. Why Andretti Cadillac no Porsche yes? Because Porsche they believe they believe that Porsche are bringing technology to it. It's, they're not just rebadging Alpha. They're basically taking over yeah. the team and applying their own technology to that's, that seat. That's Audi though, isn't it? Not Porsche. With the oh, Alpha sorry, Romeo Audi, thing. Yeah, that is Audi. It, well, it it well, is. Well, then Audi but... they're, they're both they're both part of the same group. They're both yeah, part of, so part if, of the same. Audi part. Audi would be using probably Audi. Would, Porsche maybe might become like the the sort of Toro Rosso or the I mean they, they probably wouldn't like it but like they they'd end up using new technology still they both mm. both teams would still be using new Audi technology rather than just rebadging the fear is they're going to rebadge Cadillac we're just going to rebadge another another engine and run off and say we're we're Cadillac we're doing our own thing you know yeah. you know what I think I, I'm again this might be one of the things where I read a bit too much into it but. I do feel like part of it could also be the, um, which is which is stupid if it is the case, but European brand versus American brand, like mm. as, which I think is if that if there is any of that in it, I think it's stupid in the sense that they want a bigger American viewership. So if anything, they should be embracing the American brand, yeah. If that's I, what they I want, absolutely agree with so that. like think- I'm not I'm not saying that's a factor, but. Sometimes no, I always feel like right. these European car brands do get a lot. I mean, look, you mentioned earlier, too, like, look what they did for an Audi in terms of branding that, you know, demo car up and stuff. The, there's a whole other thing, and this is the teams don't mind that an, another team is being replaced because they're not going to lose any cash. Yeah, there but, is that as well. It's not a new team, yeah, is it? Andretti, take over. The Andretti, yeah, the Andretti entry is a whole new team. Yeah. So they'll be... It dilutes the fund, it dilutes the price yeah. fund, and they're they're all scared to death of losing cash. So, yeah. 
yeah, there's that too. Next one. Uh, I'll do the next one. Um, Mick Checo says, hey man, um, <laughs> what are your thoughts on the rumors of Lewis Hamilton's final contract with Mercedes and their commitment to his foundation going forward? The rumor being a two-year extension to 2025, then a brand ambassador type position, in inverted commas also. Um, end of 2025. Can rumors. we see him hanging his boots up at the end of 2025? I think he'll want seasons. to. He'll want to finish a champion. I think. Hmm. I agree. Yeah, I think that, a lot that, that might on, be a factor. Yeah. The competitiveness what are you of the car. Three years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he will be over forty at that point, so he will. They, he's well within his right to just want to retire and go do something a bit more relaxing for the rest of his days. I wouldn't yeah. blame him well, at he, that point. He, he thinks that, and then he'll do it and be like, "Oh, I want to." go racing again <laughs> you mean like committed <laughs> yeah well like literally everyone who leaves formula wonders well yeah but so. yeah i mean obviously he's got his fingers in many pies he's very much on you know the hamilton foundation all of that work that mercedes have been supportive of so if he you know can take on that brand ambassador type position and keep like that support from them that's only a good thing so yeah, yeah i mean you get that sweet, sweet brand ambassador money as well, which which can't hurt. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. exactly. Which, to be fair, Here's mostly I think he probably would just pump into mm. the foundation and yeah, stuff. But um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I can see that being how it plays out. Mm. Yeah. Um, next one? Next from Wesley. Hey, man. We have a <laughs> almost every question <laughs> this see, week starts with hey, theme man. emerging yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, lots of changes in team principal roles this year and the potential for some big news on the manufacturer front in the near future. Assuming a team's driver talent level remains, do you see a more competitive field in the coming years? And what season had the most competitiveness among teams? Um, I mean, the first season that always springs to mind in certainly recent years is 2012, which was seven winners in the first seven races. Yeah. Um, mm. I mean, Vettel for, won it. Alonso like probably should. Well. Yeah, Alonso probably should have won it probably either the McLaren drivers could have won it that year. That was like a super close year. Um, yeah. More competitive field in the coming years. Yes, I don't. I think it, I think it will. I think given that they've all, they have all like got a little bit closer together this last season, that's just gone by. I think also the fact that we've got a top three now rather than a top two. Um, yeah. And we've got some other teams like that are edging a little, if, you know, from fourth back they are, that gap is smaller. So mm-hmm. I would, my heart says yes. My heart says I would like to see that for sure. I think who wouldn't, who doesn't want to see, you know, any car on that grid having the opportunity to win a race. I think that's what we all, that's the dream. Yeah. That's what everyone wants, which is yeah. probably why Formula One management are a bit worried about random new teams coming mm-hmm. in because it goes against that dream. But to contradict myself but um in reality like i can't see like every single team being capable of getting wins during this formula before 2026 i think you're still gonna have sort of your top dogs but i think by the by the time we get to 2026 at least i think you, it, i can see that gap getting closer and closer and closer because that's what yeah. tends to happen as the yeah. goes on they converge on performance but 2026 is my fear as well though like as as soon as everybody kind of 
properly gets their head around the current regulations and comes close together, will those new energy regulations just blow the competitive order apart again like the last time we had new engine regs? I mean, they're much yeah. simpler engine regulations this time, but that's not saying much because the existing ones are very complex, so it doesn't take much to get simpler. Um, hopefully yeah. that won't be the case because the last time I had new engine regs, it was basically Mercedes and then everyone else behind, and I'd hate to see yeah, that yeah. again. I would say, like, though, that the new engine regs should bring them a little bit closer together. I think, like, the, where the where the difference is, really, for most of the engines now is, well, there isn't really that much difference. All their internal combustion engines are using more or less the same technology. They've all yeah. sort of figured out the, uh, the sort of, like, the squirt pattern of the fuel inside the chamber and stuff like that. So... All those things they've all kind of like figured out around the same time and and they've got fairly you know, the engine in Formula One in twenty twenty two was not the wasn't the factor that sort of made each car yeah. that made the difference in the championship. It was definitely the aero that was the difference in the championship this season yeah. for sure. So I hopefully with the fact that it is being simplified, if if everyone can keep the weight down of their car, of their engines, then it should be that we continue and and there's just the engines are just the the power unit that doesn't it isn't the defining feature anymore. But you don't you don't we don't really know until we get to twenty twenty six. But you'd you'd hope that everyone's got far enough with their internal combustion engine technology that they can just apply that learning to the new engines and carry on as you were kind of thing just with way cheaper engines yeah yeah i think as well on the the driver talent side of things it is quite a good grid this upcoming year i think because mm. even with the new blood that's coming up as rookies like i sort of look through the lineup and nearly every team every single team's got a minimum a podium sitter in it the only team yeah. that doesn't is it, to my knowledge, off the top of my head, is uh, Alpha Tauri because you've got Nick DeFries and Yuki Tsunoda. But everyone yeah. else has at least... Uh, the, one of the drivers has at least a podium in, in every single team through the rest of oh, the Oh, famous yeah, I think you're Formula right. 2 driver Nick DeFries. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, famous <laughs> Formula 2 driver Nick DeFries. <laughs> and yeah, and the, the, the team that doesn't have a podium winner from Formula One, yeah. has another Formula's world champion. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty stacked grid, actually, isn't it? It is. Like yeah, when, some, uh, Well, we're going to do a whole episode, aren't we, on the on the new driver profiles. And yeah, definitely. Yeah. Leading so. into the new season. So, yeah, save 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 this for that. Oh, yeah, I'll save, <laughs> save, save the details. But I just think that it's, it's a really interesting sort of thought when you look down the grid that, yeah, really like is. I said, most teams have got a podium sitter. Yeah, in, I haven't realised that. Them. Yeah. yeah awesome uh next one blaze 2010 says hey man yep the theme st- the theme remains uh with france toss age getting up there who do you think could be the next big promotion um to team principal i'm assuming that means to replace france tost yeah um a ferrari anywhere i think i read that as um do you think Bono would be interested in doing that. I mean, I know Mercedes mm. have already got James Vell's lined up now, but don't know. Maybe, maybe considering the um, the role, it'd be 
someone from the Red Bull camp, wouldn't it? In theory. Oh, so you've got you've got to, you've got to work tower, in tandem. Yeah, you got to work in tandem with um, Red Bull to some degree. So, no, if you're going specifically for them, yeah. If that if that's what the question relates, like who might be somebody to replace Franz Tost if he ever decided to retire in the near future? Out, I, I mean, if it was an internal promote from within, it's going to be somebody from that Red Bull management team. I would have thought. Yeah, would be my I mean, gut reaction. What I'd like the answer to be, I think, you know, obviously James Vells is going to be from a strategy role moving into um, a team principal role. And if that's going to become a viable career path, I mean, there's going to be three, maybe four teams next season whose head strategist is a woman. So it'd be really cool to see one of them make a step up. Maybe Hannah Schmidt would step over from Red Bull to... That's kind of where I was placing my bets is like someone like that coming from Red Bull. It would be cool. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Cool. Yeah, I'd like to see that too. Uh, Next one is... Um, Jamal says this season all teams with their own engines have two race winners as their driver lineup. Do you uh, what? That's oh, a good stat. It, just... a, it's similar. No. So this the difference here is all the manufacturer teams have both drivers are previous race winners. Okay, I'll read it again. <laughs> this season all teams with their own engines have two race winners as their driver lineup. Okay, yeah. Do you think? This shows the importance of having your own engine. I think it also shows the factor of the drivers that win or have the potential to win end up at factory teams. Yeah, I, th- I think it shows the clout of being a factory team more than anything, doesn't it? Yeah. The drivers want to drive for a factory team. Therefore, that is what happens. Yeah. So. If multiple teams come knocking, you're probably always going to go with the factory team, um, which we've yeah. seen... Plenty of times, actually. But yeah, that's, that's another Absolutely. fun stat. I hadn't realised that. Yeah, because yeah, like yeah. Al- Al- Alpine, you sort of, I sort of sometimes forget. I sort of do remember that Gasly and Ocon have both won races, but actually, when I yeah, look Alpine at them... Actually, have done that, That's the thing, though, isn't it? Like, so yeah. Al- Alpine, Alpine have got Gasly and Ocon. Ferrari have obviously got Leclerc and Sainz. Um, Mercedes, Lewis and, and George has now won a race. Yeah, of course. And then, and then obviously Red Bull have got Max yeah. and Sergio. Yeah. So they've all they've all got a a double winning pairing. I'm excited for Ocon and Gasly at Alpine this season. This I'm really interested to see how that pans out. Viva la France! Absolute fireworks! Yeah. Never has there been a more French Formula One team. Yeah. Salut de voiture terrible. <laughs> <laughs> There's your episode title. <laughs> the day Peugeot joined Formula One is the day <laughs> Stu stops watching. <laughs> Actually, you know the the World Endurance Peugeot looks amazing. Oh, it's super car. cool. Peugeot, it looks wicked. Um, we've not even talked about any of that. And um, there's some mental looking hypercars this season. Um, I, yeah, like near the start of the season, I want to talk about that more because I'm more yeah, excited for WEC this season than I have been for a long time. Yeah, same. same. Yeah, it looks good. All, all, and... So many manufacturers again. So many manufacturers in WEC and in. Um, IMSA as well. Yeah. And the less said about virtual Amon, the better. Because <laughs> that wasn't great. What happened there? Just well, before we finished, what, did the... it hack to something? 
so they had to, they had to have two red flags because the whole server went down. They said it was because of a DDoS attack. Now, right. the two ways of looking at that either because there, there have been other sim racing events apparently that have been the victims of attacks like that. Either it wasn't that and they just use that as an excuse or they haven't put enough security in place to avoid it happening again. Neither is great. But they also had just drivers, uh, cars just randomly just being dropped from the server for no apparent reason. Um, yeah, it happened to Verstappen, didn't it? It, was it happened speeding. to Verstappen three <laughs> times and eventually he just was like, no, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, but okay, bye. Yeah, and I don't, honestly, I don't blame him. Like, There's a lot of time to... to, to put out of your own personal time to do it isn't it yeah um, like you know he he drives for a sim racing team and they were in contention for the championship he said like they yeah. put two months of work into practicing for this race and but basically like they've got a contract to use r factor 2 as the sim of choice and it is renowned for not being a very stable sim like when you've got things like iRacing out there that do a much better job of it. Yeah, Assetto Corsa. Like yeah. Mm. All yeah. Gran Turismo. Much more stable. You could have done yeah. it on Gran Turismo. <laughs> Gran Turismo. Pile up, turn one. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so Max said he uh, is never going to uh, race the virtual Le Mans ever again as long wow, as that... it's on that particular that piece does... of software. What hyperbole? That doesn't sound like Max Verstappen. Something <laughs> out of his control, losing him a championship. Crazy talk. <laughs> Let's not. Madness. It's 2023 anyway, now. I think, I think I think we're finished. I think that's Should we the wrap end of up? the episode. Yeah. Yes, let's let's wrap up. Um so yes, as Chris has and Stu have both alluded to at different parts of the show, we'll be doing some like kind of warm up for the season shows, like a little bit of an insight into some of the new drivers, um, previewing the the teams in a little bit more detail as to what's coming up this season. We've obviously got livery launchers that First of those are coming like mid February thirteenth, I think. Fifth February, like I think, that, is the yeah. earliest date I've seen Literally so far. Like two weeks time, I think third is the first. Yeah, time. so we're not got not got long to go for that. So we'll be doing our livery rankings once they're all available, all that kind of stuff, um, ahead of the season starting in March. So stick with this. Episodes are now back in your feed on a regular basis as of this week. Um, but yeah, that is it for this week. At least, if you want to get in touch with us in the meantime, you can find us on all the socials. Just look for back of the grid. Um, and if you're interested in being part of our Discord and joining the show live, you can head to patreon.com forward slash back of the grid where you can find information on how to get involved there. Uh, and then that is it for this week. So we will see you next time. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Bye.